Thanks so much for, for being here. This is, um, this is for week two of Identity. And um, uh, it, it seems like we have a lot of energy in here today. I mean, I feel like people are excited to be here. I mean, can we, just, can we all just say this together? Get your butt to church. All right, let's do this. Ready? Get your butt to church. Get your butt to church. Louder. All right, over here. Now, this side say, get your butt to church. All right, here we go. We're feeling it a little bit now. I feel like we got some butts at church. Um, it's good. It's good. Um, last week we talked about how incredibly important it is for us to be in this space at this time. And uh, it is so, it's great to watch online. You should at certain things. And, but it should be supplemental to this gathering. You should, um, if you're listening to this, if you're watching this, um, or if you're here and you normally watch, uh, this should be the primary gathering that you attend. You need to go to a, a room full of people who are gathered in the name of Jesus. That's what Jesus said he was going to build when he left. You understand the disciples were so freaked out that Jesus was leaving because the whole purpose of Jesus coming to earth was to say, I'm the king. I'm actually the king. All of the gospels, the primary message is, this guy is the king. So by the end of it, the disciples were like, we don't want you to leave. Don't leave. If you leave, what are we going to do? And his answer was, I'm going to leave. And I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And through the Holy Spirit and you all coming together, you will become my gathering. So the gathering is God's answer for Jesus not being here right now physically on earth. It is so important that we gather together. This is part of God's plan. This is like his movement in the world to like bring people with the promised seal of the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus to gather around, to worship Jesus, to talk about Jesus, to think about Jesus. You learn who you are, you learn who God is, you learn who your neighbor is. That's what today is about. And so you gotta get your butt to church. And you can watch all that other stuff. And I do. And I spent all day Friday listening to podcasts. And I, I watch messages online. And I, I listen to audiobooks. And all, it's all great. But it cannot eclipse this moment right here. So I am gonna talk about this every single week for, I don't know, a long time. I'm going to talk about it for a long time because actually it's a major problem. The church is shrinking. Less people are going to church and actually attending a gathering weekly. And it's because we're so busy and we all are. But I feel like if we can understand the meaning behind the gathering and we can get a little bit of inspiration around gathering, then we'll do it. And it's, you know, especially um, weighing on me because we just built this big building. And if you all aren't going to come, I don't know why we built it. I don't know what we're, what we're doing. I mean, we did not build the building so that you all could come to this thing and then hand it off to whoever hasn't come to church yet. We all need to be there. All right? I mean, who wants to join me in the new building? Right? I mean, 
you got to be there. This has to be a primary step of you growing in your faith. And so we're going to push that. I'm going to talk about that. We were just going to like say we want everyone to come to church on February 2nd or whatever the first Sunday of February is. We want you to be there and we're going to challenge everyone in attendance. Well, that's, we're not just going to do that once. We're doing it now. We're going to do it then. You need to start now. You need to keep going. You need to stay at church. You need to be at church three out of four times a month at a minimum. Okay? If you don't, we are um, going to excommunicate you from the community. And we are going to print on Facebook a list of names of people who don't attend church. And we're going to hashtag get your butt to church. And we're going to say we told you so. Um, uh, I'm, I'm, I wish I wasn't joking, but we're, I'm joking. And, and, and so, look, whatever I can do, all right, um, what an amazing time of worship that we just had. If that's all we have. There's something you're going to read about in the book of Ephesians that God does just through singing. Singing. People coming together and singing is part of God's plan for the growth of the church. God inhabits the praises of his people. Something happened already today. Something already happened. Something happened in someone's life that's gonna change them forever. Already. So what else could happen? It's exciting. So last week what we talked about in in light of get your butt to church was that you have to get there because you need to have the author of life, the creator of life, who spoke life into existence, be the one who proclaims who you really are. And the author of life is the only one who really has the authority to proclaim who you are. He's the only one who has that, that ability. He's the only one that can actually determine this is who you are, I'm the author, I made you. Now, we are all on a journey. Some, some of us are further down the road, figuring out who we are and who we believe we are. Some of us are here today and we are still on a quest, asking the question, on the quest, who am I? Who really am I? Like full up Zoolander, looking in the mirror, who am I? Sorry for, for those of you who don't know Zoolander, you're missing out on a major, on a, on a major piece of uh, modern culture. Um, but we are all asking that question. And the answer to that question for you is something that is incredible. Basically, um, lots of different authors and different people have tried to say like how important the power of belief is. C.S. Lewis said this, he said, we are what we believe we are. So if we believe we don't matter, then that's what we are. We become something that doesn't matter even though it's a lie. If we believe in something great, then kind of we become that. Like we are what we believe we are. And so for all of us wondering who we are, today what I wanna do is I wanna go all the way up to the top of the definition of identity. I wanna define identity for us. Because we're on the quest to figure out who we are. There's so many people that are going to college and they're literally thinking, I gotta go to college, I gotta take that, I gotta figure out who I am so then I can figure out what to do. There's so many people that are in here today that, that, that just thought that they were supposed to do something specific with their life, they did that thing and they still don't understand who they are. 
And be, when you don't really understand who you are, it's confusing, it's scary, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's very, very subjective at times. If you place who you think you are on the wrong thing, but that thing goes well, you might feel real good about who you are, but then when that thing gets taken away, then suddenly you, you kind of doubt your sense of self-worth. And so who you really are and the definition of who you really are is a major, major topic. And it's a very big deal in the world we live in today because of questions of sexual identity, sexual orientation, LBGTQ, homosexuality, um, and the desires that lie within that. Now, there are lots of other pieces of identity besides that. The reason talking about identity today is so difficult is because of some of those issues. One of my favorite um, movies is The Rock, right, with Nicolas Cage, Sean Connery, Ed Harris. Welcome to The Rock. You know, Nicolas Cage, he's just like, okay. Like, I mean, you know, like he does this thing. Like, it's a great movie about these guys taking over Alcatraz. And and Nicolas Cage's character is is a chemical weapons specialist, all right? And at the beginning of the movie, um, uh, before this famous line is said, uh, Nicolas Cage is actually in the lab, and he's a chemical weapons specialist. So what they do is they bring in this bomb, and it apparently has some type of trigger, and the trigger apparently like, causes a bunch of gases and some type of lethal chemical into the atmosphere and kills people. So what they do is they put on all these suits, and they cover themselves up and they put the bomb in this vacuumous kind of a scenario that pulls things out and they move in and they try to um, defuse the bomb. And basically, they get in there and these are guys, all they do is mess with bombs, they understand chemical weapons, they understand what's gonna happen. The whole premise of the movie is kind of being set because later in the movie they find that these, these guys that overtook Alcatraz are gonna shoot chemical weapons onto the, the whole city of San Francisco. So basically it's kind of a microcosm of the movie. So he's, they go in and as they're messing with the bomb, the, the chemical weapons specialists hit something that causes the bomb to start to bring the the bad chemicals into the atmosphere. And the vacuum comes on, and then they start freaking out, and a guy gets, like, scared, and ultimately what happens is, right at the nick of time, Nicolas Cage diffuses the bomb. And it doesn't blow up and kill everybody. But they literally shut down the room, and everyone that leaves is going to be safe, and the guys in there, if they don't figure it out, they're all going to die. Now, the the reason I talk about that, that moment is because... Identity, as it pertains to sexual identity, as it pertains to LBGQ, and and those questions, and it's a bigger thing than just those things, but as it pertains to that, is basically such a delicate issue that no matter who touches it, from any perspective, it has the ability to blow up in your face. It just, honestly, I, I heard theologians that have studied it for 10 years say, I don't really want to talk about it in front of a room because no matter what angle you come from at that issue, you're going to hurt someone's feelings. You could say something that might just cause a bigger problem. You might say something in front of people and then boom, you touch that thing and it blows up in your face, makes you look uh, you know, narrow-minded or, or non-sympathetic towards people, whatever it is. And what I want to do is I am going to talk about those particular things and I'm going to use those particular things and a lot of particular things to show us that those are some of the things that are leading us away from the true definition of identity. Those types of things are not necessarily 
right or wrong, and that's not what I'm talking about today. I'm talking about using those things to identify yourself with. Okay, so for example, those types of things, among other types of things, you may experience those types of things, and I'm not talking about whether or not your experience is valid, whether or not you believe it's true, whether or not it's something that you hold on to tightly. That's not what today's message is about. What today's message is about is when those things or other types of things in the world we use to classify our identity. And what I'm going to show you is that you may classify certain things like that or other attributes in terms of your identity, and I'm not gonna argue with you, and I understand where you're coming from, but the scriptures don't use those things or lots of other things to classify your identity. In fact, those things, according to the scripture, are not your identity. And it's one of the most important issues in culture. When we hang our who we are on the wrong types of things or the things that aren't actually things that represent our identity. So, to unpack that, I wanna show you some of the things uh, that we basically use often to classify our identity. These are a lot of the things that we go through. Ethnicity, who I am is, is kind of, you know, uh, where, where necessarily I, was, I, I come from or, or my, my heritage is just who I am, the color of skin, the color I look like, that's who I am. My physical characteristics, if I'm really tall, then that's who I am, I'm a tall person. Uh, physical limitations, people that might have any type of physical limitation might kind of let themselves be wrapped up in that. An illness, you're starting to be believed that who you are is someone who is sick. Your gender, a lot of people go, well, this is who I am, or I thought I was this and I'm something else. Using that to say that that is the highest uh, characteristic for identity. Sexual preference. We're turning the lights off. Is it that bad? <laughs> you guys can still see me? Enough? Sexual preference. Uh, what, I, what I desire sexually uh, defines me. It, it, it says the most about who I am. Bad decisions. Things I've done in the past, man, those are with me today, and, and that, that defines me. Good decisions. I've, had, I've done something really well, and that's what I'm going to prop myself up on. Failures. Things have gone so bad, it's like there I am, and maybe I spent some time in prison, or maybe I did something so awful that I just can't get away. That's who I am. Successes. I'm so good at this. I made this much money. That's who I am. And your skills. This is a list of some things that we kind of use to say this is who I am. This is who I am. And all of these things are important, and all of these things are real to people. But according to the Bible... None of these things define who we are, define our identity. These are things that might point out someone, but these are not things that define who you are. And ultimately, the, the reason for this message today is part of the dialogue around identity is we're, have, we're not having the actual conversation. We're talking about maybe someone's failures, and we're talking about who they really are. And really, the, the Bible is like, well, that, that's actually not who you are. And God goes, that's not actually not who you are, what you did in the past. Oh, that skill that you have that you're so good at that you won the national championship or you did this, that's not who you are. I know you feel great because you did that, but that's not who you are. So we have these conversations where people are dealing with major pieces of what they experience and what they see. And ultimately, what I want to do today is say that that's actually not the conversation. And when you put all of your eggs in terms of identity into this basket, it does a couple of really bad things. The first thing that it does is it gives you a false sense of self-worth. 
And another way to say that is what these things do when we kind of put our eggs in the basket that this is my identity is it takes us on a self-worth roller coaster. Because every person is going to have things and characteristics that they feel good about themselves, things they might have had successes, and then if your identity is hung up on the things you feel good about or the successes that you've had, then you feel good. Life is good. Feeling good. Good about my life. Now when you fail, now when there's something you don't like about yourself, now when there's something that someone says isn't good and you're wrestling with whether, what does that mean for me, now I don't feel good about myself. And so when we put our, our, our kind of our whole equity in a list of things that really aren't about our identity, but just about characteristics, attributes of humans, things that they care about, things they do or don't do, parts of their life, all important, but not who their identity is. When we start to make those two equal the same thing, we just get taken on a roller coaster. I know there's some people in here that basically have hung their entire self-worth on their history, things that they've done in the past. And so you're in here today, and no matter what I say to you that is supposed to kind of eclipse that or help you through that, you still feel worthless. And then some of us are in here, and it doesn't matter if I say something to you, like you have done something in the past that you are so proud of, you've hung your whole hat on, your bank account says so, your trophies say so, whatever it is, whatever you've done, you go, this, that's who I am. That's a really scary place to be. Ask Lamar Jackson. I mean, sorry. Everyone said he was going to win. Everyone said. I listened to sports radio all week long. That's the game. It's like he thought now, but I mean, if he bases his value on whether or not he won that game last night, then he must not be worth anything. You see what happens when we do that? That's a scary place to live. It doesn't mean that you're not sad when you lose, you're not happy when you win. It doesn't mean you're not proud. It doesn't mean you don't work hard. It just means that we're not having the conversation about identity when we're talking about a list of things that aren't there to define us. Another thing that it does, so then our self-worth goes all over the place. People are living this. Oh, who am I? How many likes? If I have a lot of likes on Facebook, then man, suddenly I am, I'm, I'm, I'm valuable. I, I feel good. Another thing that this does when we hang it up is it's, it's ultimately we're barking up the wrong tree. So, so many people believe those things identify us that they spend their lives pursuing those things. You're just going after it. Just please, I just get this. Okay, my identity is how much money I can make. So, if I make a lot of money, then that means my self-worth will be imposed on the world. Now I matter. And you're chasing that down. I have talked to, in in my life, I've talked to a lot of different people who are athletic and and have actually gone on to be professionals. And and I've talked to people in the music industry. And I have talked to people who are so incredibly talented. Um, There's a guy that, that some of us know. He's one of the most talented vocalists I've ever heard in my life. And every time I would talk to him alone, because he didn't have success According to Nashville, he didn't believe he was valuable. He was barking up the wrong tree. And, and, and this is a hard thing to do when the world comes along and says, we like you more when you do this and we don't like you when you do that. It's part of the problem. So ultimately what has to happen is we have to turn the vocal of God up in our life of who he says we are, and then we actually have to move down the road of redefining what identity is all about. 
the, the reason that I'm doing this message is because I want to have some different sounding conversations with some of you. And I want you to have different sounding conversations. These conversations matter. The, 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 this is it. I, I spent so much of my life as a pastor in that list of things of people basically barking up the wrong tree going, I thought this was going to be my thing. Like, for example, if, if you're out there and you're waiting until he proposes, and then when he proposes, now you're set. I look at that and I go, oh, man, that's just an unbalanced, scary thing to do. You cannot put all your eggs in the basket of getting married. It just goes on and on and on and on. There's a higher piece. And so what I want to do is I want to show us what God says about identity. And we're going to start off with reminding ourselves what we talked about last week. Everyone say this. I am who God says I am. I am who God says I am. Say it. Say, I am who God says I am. Say, they are who God says they are. When you start to understand that what God says, his word is authoritative on who we are, you start to understand the reality of identity. Ultimately, in the book of Ephesians, God, through Paul, is teaching us who we really are. Really, what our identity is. What is the absolutely biblical definition for identity if it's not all these list of things. Here's what he says in Ephesians. This is Ephesians chapter 2, 19 through 20. And this is a robust juggernaut of a passage. All right? You can read it in your Bibles. It's up on the screen. In this passage, Paul is talking about how when God's plan for reaching humanity started, he used a nation. And those were his children. And through that nation, even though that nation would be broke, he would bring the Savior of the world. And what he's doing is he's saying that in Christ, everyone who's not in that family by birth that believes in Christ has been brought into that family. That's what he's getting at. So he says this, consequently, because of Jesus, you are no longer Say it, foreigners. Foreigner, it's a commentary on ethnicity. It's a commentary on, on that. The highest level of human identity is ethnicity. But God's approach is even higher, and that's what he's getting at. He's literally saying, you who are not Jews, you're no longer a foreigner to that family. No longer a foreigner, and what else? You're no longer a stranger. You're not a stranger. Now, if you have little kids, this is a big idea, right? You don't, you don't engage with a stranger. If they're not a stranger, they're friends, they're family, they're close, they're part of you. But what are you, he says, fellow citizens? So he starts to talk about legal documentation. You are part of a country legally. And then he takes it to the next level in terms of idea. With God's people and also members of his what? Household. You are, you're not a foreigner. That, that doesn't get you, that doesn't define you. Where you were necessarily born. No, 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 that, 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 that doesn't it, that doesn't do it. You, you are, just because you didn't know us or you, we don't have a relationship with you or we don't know you personally, that actually doesn't define you. You're not a stranger. You are, in fact, legally now part of God's nation. 
And you are in fact part of God's family. You're part of God's family. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. So, in Christ Jesus, you are children of God through faith, through who you were baptized into Christ, having clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now I jumped to Galatians. I forgot to say that. So in, in these, in these uh, chapters or in, in these books, you have Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Paul, in the letter to the Galatians, writes this under the same idea. So in Christ, you're not a foreigner, you're not a stranger, and in fact, all of you who believe in Christ, you've been clothed in Christ, and there is now no differentiation in terms of your identity. There's no Jew, there's no Gentile, there's neither slave, nor free, nor is there male, nor is there female. Now in that time, all these exist, and same today. What Paul is spending all of his time doing is going, you are all, regardless of your gifts, talents, color of skin, different desires, you're all part of my family. Every one of you is a part of my family. I'm your father, you're my children. So in a spiritual sense, identity is this. Identity is determined by who you come from. Now on earth, who you come from, ethnicity, is the highest calling of identity. Who are you? You're the son of, you're the daughter of. But what God does is he takes us to this big, huge level. And he says, you, because of Jesus, have been brought into my family. You are children of God. So it's not what you did. It's not what you like. It's not what you look like. It's not your successes, it's not your failures. That's not your identity. Your identity is you are a child of God. You are, you are, that's it, that's who you are. God sees you, there's my son, there's my daughter. You are that. And so when we start thinking about identity, we have to understand who we are. Now I, I imagine if I viewed my kids based upon just a list of their attributes as to whether or not I accepted them and loved them. I don't accept my kids and love my kids because of the things that they like, the things that they do, their failures or their successes. I accept my kids because I was there when they were born. They're my children. And all the rest is part of fathering. But it's not fatherhood. Fatherhood is, that's my son, that's our daughter, she is ours, that is her identity. My friends, your identity when you are in Christ is you are a child of the king. You are a daughter of the king. You are a prince, you are a princess, and that's everything. That's everything. And when you start to elevate your mind, to who you really are, it changes everything. Everybody say this, say, God is my father. 
God is my father. Isn't it amazing when we think about the theological depth and complexity of the Trinity? We have God the Father, we have God the Son, we have God the Holy Spirit. God the Father. He's our Father. We're his children. Here's one of the beautiful things about true identity, understanding that you are his son or daughter. Really understanding that that's what identity is and not all that other stuff is your true identity is amazing and it can never go away. You can never lose your sonship. You can never cease to be a princess. When you embrace the person of Jesus and you're in his family, that is who you are. So if we bark up the wrong tree to try to figure out who we are, we'll always fail. We'll always kind of lose ourselves. We'll have an empty sense of self-worth. And then when we realize we are the son or the daughter of God, when we mess up and we think those mess ups define us, we can always go back to, no, my failures don't define me. No, my successes are not who I am. No. I didn't leave the family of God because I fell down. I'm in the family of God regardless of whether or not I fall down. I'm in the family, man. I am in God's family. And all those attributes, this is why you need to hear this if you're part of the LGBTQ or you're part of, it's just if you embrace the person of Jesus, you're in the family of God. It doesn't, it's, you, all that other stuff is another conversation. It's an important conversation. But man, the most important conversation is as humans, we speak truth to other, other people about who they really are and who God says you are. You are in the family of God, man. You are. That's identity. Don't forget it. One of my favorite movies, and I've talked about this before, is The Lion King. And the new one just came out. But I love the original. And I love James Earl Jones, the voice of Mufasa. A lot of you out there don't know that's the same voice as Darth Vader. Isn't that amazing? The greatest villain and one of the greatest, like, amazing patriarchal figures in all of cinema is the same voice. Just blows my mind. But one of the great parts of that story, actually the point of that story is that Simba gets tricked by his wicked uncle Scar to kind of believe that he killed his father and makes him run away. So Simba is running away from his past. He's running away from his successes. He's running away from his failures. He's running away and he meets these crazy characters and they teach him a philosophy of life. It's called Akuna Matata, what a wonderful phrase, right? And they teach him this. Ultimately, he knows while he is off eating bugs and slugs, something doesn't match up. Slimy yet satisfying. He's not sure about it. He doesn't feel great about it. And they just say, don't worry about it. Don't talk about it. You got to learn to put your past behind you, right? And they tell him that, put it behind you, be someone else. It's our problem-free philosophy. And he starts to live the Akuna Matata life. And I gotta tell you, a lot of people in the room are living the Akuna Matata life. 
You're just walking around. You don't know who you are. You're afraid of your past. You're afraid of figuring it out. And the reality is that there's something inside you that goes, just because I did that, that's not who I am. Just because I think that's not who I am. There's some parts about that that are who I am. But there's something bigger. What is it? Then Nala comes back. The girlfriend. And she starts talking sense into him. And then Rafiki the monkey, the wise monkey, shows up. And he says, you're a baboon. And he says, no, you are a baboon. You don't even know who you are. So he takes him to the pool. And he says, look in the pool. And he looks in. And what does he see? He sees his father. And his father, I mean, I'm telling you, I have this in my car on the DVD player. And whenever it comes on, I'm like, I start crying. My kids are like, what's wrong, daddy? I'm like, this is... This is so important. Akuna Matata is the worst part of the movie. The best part is right here. This is where we all get to that place where identity rises. And James Earl Jones, he says, Simba, you have forgotten me. No, no. How could I forget you? You have forgotten who you are. And so you have forgotten me. And he says, you must take your place in the circle of life. You are my son. Sorry. I, whoa, I know. Joel's crying about Lion King. I'm sorry. It's the king. I mean, you understand that in the Bible, Jesus God is called the Lion of Judah. I mean, like, so there's like a, there's this roar. Remember who you are. Remember who you are. You are my son. You are my daughter. You matter to me because of that. All that stuff, that's not who you are. All that matters, and you got to deal with it. Sometimes the past hurts. you got to figure out who you are. And the thing about that part, which we're going to talk about next week, so cliffhanger, is that part of, of Simba understanding who he really is is what leads him to live the life he's supposed to live. My friends, if you spend your entire life hanging your identity on a list of attributes, you won't live the life you're supposed to live. It's not who you are. Who you are is the son of God. You are the daughter. You are his prince. You are his princess. When we get that, it changes the way we make decisions. It changes where we live. It makes us go back to Pride Rock. Do you see yourself the way God sees you? Now, some of you might be hearing all this and you might go, so how? Joel, how do I become a son or daughter? I've talked a couple times about how you have to embrace the person of Jesus. According to the scriptures, we're born into iniquity. So ultimately, Without something taking place, we're not technically the Ephesians. We're not the one he's talking to. He's talking to people who have been grafted into the family of God through the gift of Jesus Christ. And the word that he uses, which is incredible, is this word, adoption. This is how you become a son or daughter of God. It's very difficult for us to understand adoption. You know that? It's very difficult. 
Um, I have a friend, and some of your friend, he, he goes to church here. Him and his wife have adopted five kids. Four from Korea, one from China. And him and his wife you just look like, you know, Anglo-Saxon white Americans. They adopted these five kids. The world around them struggles to understand that reality. I met with him this week to talk about this message. And I said, tell me a story about how people don't understand adoption. He said, yeah, so we go to Costco, right? And you go to Costco and your kids go to the, the sample thing. Everybody does that, right? So some of those people at those sample counters are like tyrants. They're like evil people. And they, they kind of like hoard their goods. And ultimately he says, so, so one of my kids, Caleb, who's Korean, his, his uh, country of origin is, is Korean, uh, goes up to the table. And the lady says, uh, you're, you know, you can't eat that unless your dad is there. And his dad is standing right behind him. I mean, except for the color of their skin, their proximity and what they're, they look like father and son. But, you know, the person goes, you can't have that whatever pizza roll unless your dad is there. And he's just so funny. He goes, yeah, the white guy is my dad. The white guy. White guy's my dad. How went on, I said, this, this friend of mine, I said his name, sorry. This friend of mine went on to say that when they were going through the adoption process, that part of the orientation to it, they teach you some things about stuff like this happening. People aren't going to understand. People don't get it. And one of the things that the, the instructor taught them is this, is that God makes families in all kinds of special ways. Do you understand that God made you a part of his family in a very special way? A very special way. You see, actual blood relatives, father, son, mother, daughter, they have the same DNA. They have the same blood. And so what God did to adopt you is he bought you with his blood. So Paul says this, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for, say it, adoption as sons through who? Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he freely has given us in the one he loves. And in him, we have redemption through what? His blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. You see, what God did is that the blood of Jesus is what brings you into the family of God. And so now, you're part. You embrace Jesus, you are embracing the family of God. It doesn't matter what your, your physical DNA says. Now, in a spiritual sense, you have been brought into the household. You are a citizen. You are his son. You are his daughter. You are his prince. You are his princess. You're part of the family of God. God says, you're my son. God says, you're my daughter. Here's a chair at my table. Here's a bedroom for you to sleep in. This is your identity. If you run off like the prodigal son, I'll be waiting for you to come back 
because you're my son, you're my daughter. The past doesn't define you. Your failures don't define you. Success doesn't define you. I define you, and you are who I say you are. Let's stand and sing. I am who you say I am. I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. place here. We'll see you guys next week. All right, we love you very much. Get your journals. Get your journals. We got these Ephesians journals up here.